I'm Mary Ambrose, and this is the CG Podcast. The G20 is a group of representatives from 20 major economies, and they meet to discuss trade and development. And their next big meeting is in Hamburg, Germany, on July 7th and 8th. This may not be how you want to spend a July weekend, but this bunch is hugely important for all of us. Dirk Mesner, director of the German Development Institute, puts it this way. The G20 is representing more than 80% of global growth, more than 80% of global emissions, and more than 80% of global resource consumption. And this implies that we cannot solve any development challenge without the G20. Frankly, This is unsurprising. The G20 needs to hear some serious solutions for our serious problems. But what I find surprising is that they don't have those solutions already. Use less coal. Stop government subsidies of the richest industries in the world. One of them is the oil industry. Stop pollution before it's beyond repair. Now, if I know these things, and we've talked about a couple of them on this podcast, how can sophisticated government representatives not also know? Well, they do. But here's the rub. Governments change, but the ideas they bring to these big meetings often don't. So the G20 came up with a new approach that forces them to look at the latest research on hot issues. They formed the T20, a group of people from international think tanks. Rathan Roy, director of the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy in India, describes why this idea was overdue. This is how he describes the G20 and then T20. So this is, I think, where the T20 comes in. The, the presumption behind the T20 is that intellectuals working across national boundaries while recognizing national interests can actually transcend these narrow bureaucratic boundaries to move forward and make progress. I think that's the fundamental ambition of the T20. All those men we heard from are in the T20. Well, so is Celine Bach. She's not only a senior fellow at CG, she's president of Analytica Advisors, where she's been on the forefront of supporting green technology and innovative industries with an emphasis on finance, innovation, and trade. She has already changed the world and continues to do so. And she's one of those people who the bigwigs will be listening to in Hamburg. As part of the T20, she's presenting ideas on climate policy, which we'll get into. But before we do, I'd like to hear a little bit more about why the G20 needed the T20. And Celine Bach joins me from Ottawa. Hello. Hello, Mary. Celine, we just heard from Rathen Roy describing the goal of the T20. He said it need, it's needed because nation states tend to reproduce the same positions on issues again and again. I thought the whole point of voting for new governments what they ha- is that they have different positions. So from your perch in Canada's capital, is that not the case and why not? Well, governments work uh, on, their, on their electoral plans as part of the process of you know, having uh, a position to present to citizens and, and to ask for their votes. And in doing so, they, they look out into the different, you know, different sources of, of uh, research um, and ideas to, to see, you know, what, what could be part of their platform. And so, you know, yes, they actually do some research and they, you know, they, they do, they seek out a diversity of, of views in order to, to, you know, create a, I guess, a coalition of the willing of, of the citizens who would vote for them. But when they get into office, um, the the list of things that are actually possible and, and, you know, that they can undertake in their legislative agenda and in their international uh, agenda has to be whittled down. 
And so, you know, there's a process by which uh, priorities get set. And, and that sometimes uh, is, is driven by um, industry associations from the private sector and, and various stakeholders, uh, you know, and, and not, not uh, non-governmental organizations. And that can sometime lead, sometimes lead to a sort of a lowest common denominator outcome. And that that's uh, obviously uh, not not in the best interest of society. And so uh, think tanks play a role in making sure that the that big important ideas that can be beneficial to society don't get weaned out in the process of consulting with um, with industry and and with other important stakeholders. And so that's the role we play. So then T20 is kind of um, like crowdsourcing. You get all smart people like you come together and come up with a, a, a few, as you say, big ideas. But how does the G20 decide on which think tanks are included? Some of them are very political. Some of them aren't. Uh, well, that's a very interesting question, and and it's uh, it's it it's a process by which they they ask for ideas. I mean, so that so in the summer, uh, when you know when when many of us might be at at cottages and and on vacation, uh, people from think tanks all over the world uh, put forward their ideas. And you know, my view was that one of the most important ideas for this G twenty was that we needed to bust some silos. Uh, we, we needed to start putting together um, economic ideas and environmental ideas and finance ideas and that we had to stop having those treated separately. And so we put forward the idea that this this a multidisciplinary, cross-sectoral, cross-functional way of looking at the problem of growth and climate change would be beneficial for, for the G20, uh, for citizens of the G20. I think that makes complete sense, and it's nice to have a sensible voice in that direction. So you're one of three people chairing one of these task forces, and as you say, it's a cross-silo thing, so it's a big one, climate policy and finance, it's called. So then do the three of you kind of operate as curators or gatekeepers? What do you do? Do you just say, well, that idea is completely potty, we're not even thinking about it, nice aspirational, never happen? How do you decide? A bit, a bit of a walk in the fog, to be honest. Um, I think the first thing that uh, we decided was that we needed to meet. Uh, we needed to actually you know, invite people to physically uh, meet each other and to present their ideas. And we did that uh, after the launch of the G20 in December. And, you know, that might sound like a, you know, yeah, so ho-hum kind of idea. But it, it actually required us to be very brave as, as uh, you know, as chairs of this. Oh. No. Come on, Celine. That is not brave to say we're holding a meeting. Well, come on. No, it's not brave, but you have to have something to say at that meeting, uh. right? And and so we, uh, the three of us who didn't really know each other's points of view, had to come up with a some sort of a consensus about our priorities, uh, without knowing whether or not we could do that. Um, and so that was the brave part. As people, we had to take uh, a leap of faith that you know we could actually come to a consensus. And in fact, um, uh, you know, we did that. We presented some ideas in front of 45 people who are all really smart, as you point out, um, and who we, we had no idea how they would respond to our proposals. And it turns out that, that it 
provoked uh, some really interesting ideas about uh, what we could do to align the economy and the environment. And that uh, built trust, and that trust led to people working together, and it led to people whose ideas were different having to coalesce around a consensus. And so we, we started with everybody else at the same time, and we've uh, built a, a task force that's produced seven different policy papers with different ideas uh, for consideration. That sounds very productive. You're right. So the three things that your task force, as I understand it, is tasked with is the kind of carbon pricing, regulation of carbon. So that's to reduce our global carbon footprint. To promote sustainable infrastructure is essential for achieving what we hope is going to be a low carbon growth. That's certainly central for a sustainable economy, for sure. And to find a way for money to flow to that low-carbon economy, which hasn't, for whatever reason, flourished in the way that we all hoped it would. And that seems to have proved challenging. So are those still the positions that you guys are all, you all agreed on? And then those seven papers that you've come up with address those issues? Yes. So in the first case, a carbon pricing or regulation of carbon, um, the, the, I guess the key idea for that uh, work stream is the idea of a budget. And so the, the idea of a carbon budget and how we husband our you know, our, our ability to use that carbon budget, both in terms of countries that don't emit a lot of carbon and that are still developing, and countries like Canada who have uh, already emitted a lot of carbon to get to the point where, you know, the standard of living that we all have today uh, and, and what should be our responsibility in the future. So that was one important area of discussion. Um, and then, uh, in, you know, infrastructure is, is directly tied to that because, you uh, you know, we the way we live and work and get around are are basically the the vehicles, pardon the pun, uh, by which we emit carbon. So, you know, where we live, how we heat our homes, uh, where we work, how those uh, structures are are heated and cooled, uh, electricity and how it's produced, transportation and you know what kind of energy it uses, and then you know how how we. Uh, run our economy, what happens in our major sectors, whether that's the, the agriculture sector or the oil and gas sector or the forestry sector, et cetera. So that whole idea of, you know, how we how we use our carbon budget, how we can reduce uh, the emissions and still have an economy that, that makes new jobs and creates opportunities for Canadians, that was a, a key part of our work. Um, and in relation, it, its relation to infrastructure and, and so how we, you know, build buildings differently, build transportation systems differently, et cetera. But Selena, I've heard all of these ideas from politicians. Nothing seems to have happened, or very little. So how is this? How are the suggestions you make going to uh, catapult these people into action? There have been major pieces of research on sustainable infrastructure, on uh, sustainable finance, and it's as though you have to get to a point where there's a critical mass of primary research on those uh, different fields before. Um, you know, a central bank will have a look at it or uh, the regulator of, uh, a, you know, a financial sector has to look at it or or even, you know, the finance minister has to look at it. It's Yeah, we're, I think we're at the point now where that critical mass of, of knowledge and evidence has been put forward. Can you give me one example of the kind of things you're suggesting that might tip the balance, that might make them feel like the 
they they feel safe enough to do something. Uh, for about three or four years now, uh, there has been a declaration at the G20 uh, to uh, move swiftly to remove fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, there's you know the research has been done uh, by various uh, think tanks, um, and it, you know also has been done at the IMF and the World Bank has done some of that research. And so there's just now there's a global consensus that has emerged about. Evidence and in Canada, uh, you know, we have a, an institution that's based in in Winnipeg called uh, that that is the IISD that is the sort of uh, repository of fossil fuel subsidy research. And uh, in our our fossil fuel subsidies in Canada are about six billion dollars, three point three or so uh, in tax expenditures, and then another three billion in loans that are made to the fossil fuel industry. So we give billions of dollars in a variety of fashions, to one of the richest industries in the world. We have an institute telling us that giving money to the oil industry is a bad idea. How can the T20 move the needle on what seems to be a pretty intractable problem? Well, we start uh, at the T20 and then at the G20 with uh, a consensus around a date. And that is often done in a way where the date is set beyond the next election uh, for um, you know certain governments who may not be supportive of uh, the phasing out of fossil fuel subsidies. And then uh, another another thing which is often done is to request uh, a report on the impact of these fossil fuel subsidies and uh, both positive and and you know who, who in society is effect, would be affected if those subsidies were phased out. Because you have to remember that some of these subsidies are actually to enable very poor people to have access to, um, you know, various kinds of, uh, of, hydro, you know, of, of oil products, oil and gas products, to, for example, for cooking and for very you know, basic uh, needs uh, that, they, you know, that they have as, as people trying to uh, cook for their families, et cetera. Um, and so when, when all of those studies come together uh, and there's a consensus that it would be possible to remove these subsidies uh, in, in a way which does not harm people, um, then, then you know, the date might be advanced. Give me one other idea of the kinds of things that you're going to be proposing so if we're going to have sustainable infrastructure, uh, we are going to be need, for example, to have that infrastructure uh, and the financing or the infrastructure meet the f- same tests for climate. So how does the infrastructure impact climate and how does climate impact the infrastructure? And so, you know, the, the money that will be required to build all this infrastructure and the figure is a fantastic, it's a, an extraordinary figure, it's $90 trillion. You know, how are we going to get to have the financing flow from pension funds, from insurance companies, et cetera, into that infrastructure so that we can stay within our carbon budget? Your task force, which is about climate and finance, will be basically over umbrella suggestion saying this is where we have to put our money, this is where we have to pull our money out. If we're going to have a climate that we can all live in for the next 100,000 years, this is where we're going to have to move the money to and from. That's right. And so we're, we're, we're beyond the sticks. We're moving to the carrots. <laughs> With an agreed-upon position and a boatload of research you're hoping to that the T20 will kind of present and have cleared hurdles that the various governments at the G20 will 
say that they're confronted with at home? Yes, because governments are, are you know, I mean, it, it, you know, obviously governments are accountable for many things, but they are primarily accountable these days uh, for the economy, right? So the, the fact that we are making not just recommendations about what not to do, but also providing an indication of, well, here's how you will get growth. Here's how you will increase productivity, um, you know, sustainable infrastructure and, and, and having finance flow towards that is, is one way of having a transition where you're not simply going to have oil and gas workers sort of manning the barricades and saying, you know, uh, w- what are we going to do uh, in the next 10 to 15 years? I mean, so, you know, we, we have to actually be able to provide a, a place for us to transition to, not simply, uh, you know, a description of what needs to stop. And if you've got your first wish for the meeting in Hamburg, what would it be? I would like finance ministers to be accountable for uh, carbon and carbon budgets. I think that if this was the case, uh, that we would be able to look at all aspects of our economy uh, in a way which which would reflect our Paris Treaty obligations. But not just that, um, it would enable us to, to look at the efficiency of our economy. And, and um, that's one thing about uh, carbon is it, it, it's actually, it's a, it's a waste product, right? And it's, it's something that, you know, if you become very efficient in the use of energy and in the use of resources and the way people are engaged uh, in the economy because you're you're looking for efficiency in, in terms of energy. You end up with a with a more productive economy and a better place for us all to live. Celine Bach, thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Barry. Celine Bach is a senior fellow at CG and president of Analytica Advisors, where she's been on the forefront of supporting green technology and innovative industries with an emphasis on finance, innovation, and trade. You can find articles by Celine Bach and our other podcasts on our website, cgonline.org, C-I-G-I-O-N-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G. CG is the Centre for International Governance Innovation, an independent, nonpartisan think tank. I'm Mary Ambrose.